Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. My name is Jonathan, and I'll be your host for today. Uh, joining me are other hosts in our virtual studio from all over the planet, uh, Erica, Doug, Tiffany, and Gabriella. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, everybody. Hello. Aloha. All right, so we're uh, on this show. We're, we're focusing on on health and wellness, and we have uh, a lot of cumulative experience in different areas between all of our co-hosts. Um, I, I guess I'll just get started. Like I said, my name is Jonathan. I uh, um, have lost a lot of weight uh, in the past by getting onto the paleo uh, high-fat uh, diet, and uh, have gotten rid of a lot of personal health issues. Uh, just from that without using, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals or anything else to aid in that process. And so I also love to uh, cook, um, and I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Um, and over the last couple of years, have learned quite a bit about uh, cooking without grains, without sugar, um, and those kind of things. And so that's kind of my own area. Um, do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Doug, why don't you go first? Hello, everybody. Yeah. Go ahead, Tiff. Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Tiffany. Um, I am a thought editor, and I love researching health. I'd say my, one of my favorite topics is uh, vaccination and immunity. I like reading old books from the early 1900s on that subject. Um, I also have about 15 years' experience in the medical and social services field. So, hello. Great. Uh, well, my name is Doug. Um, I am a holistic nutritionist by trade. Um, so, I started off actually in the cooking industry, um, but burnt out on that after a while. Um, it's a very high-stress um, industry. Um, and kind of got to a point where I was wanting to know more about food and stuff. Like I kind of was figuring out how to make it taste good and look good, but uh, I knew there was a lot of more, um, you could go a lot deeper with it. Um, so I started uh, kind of looking around for um, where places I could uh, kind of educate myself on that and ended up going to a school that uh, had a holistic nutrition program. And as great as that was, um, it, it just kind of really whetted my appetite a little bit. So I started kind of researching a lot more um, and started getting in, involved with SOT and involved with all the uh, the research we do on there for health and wellness. Um, and, you know, basically ended up coming 360 degrees from where I started out. Um, and, you know, as Jonathan was mentioning, the uh, paleo ketogenic diet. Um, so that's kind of my my focus there. And I've got a number of articles up on SOT, too. You can always just uh, kind of take a look up there and, and see my uh, uh, rants. <laughs> my name is well, Erica, and, and, uh, oh. you and I wanted, <laughs> wanted to introduce myself. Um, I'm a SOT editor as well, and... Um, Kind of like the others shared, I have a history in cooking, working in the, the restaurant food industry. Um, my technical training is actually in education. Um, and for the past 12 years, I've uh, helped my husband run an organic farm. 
specializing in ways of growing organic produce and whatnot um, until we read The Vegetarian Myth a few years ago, uh, which kind of changed our perspective and uh, forced us to learn more about, you know, the paleo diet and um, helpful, helpful eating. Uh, I've also published a few articles on SOT, uh, one relating to GMOs, which is a very big issue in the Hawaiian Islands, as we're the largest producer of GMO seeds. And then I recently wrote an article on vaccinations as well, and just some helpful information for parents having a background in education. I've worked a lot with young children and parents, and so I feel it's kind of my duty to share information with people that are open to it. So um, currently I am a yoga instructor and spend my time researching health and wellness. Well, and I guess uh, left, uh, I am the one left. I'm Jan Gabriela. I live in Spain, but I'm originally from Costa Rica. I'm also known as Dr. Yavi. My background is medical doctor and my ethnicity is, um, you know, Oriental and Caucasian. I always say that example because I'm um, like a mix, uh, integrating West and East, and my medical practice also reflects that. I've been a heart surgeon. I did a heart surgery in Italy, Milan, and I also do a lot of alternative medicine research since 2004, pretty much. I uh, posted a series of articles in Soft.net. Um, pretty much my focus is everything health and wellness related from vaccinations, GMOs, but also even, you know, pandemics and uh, the cholesterol needs. It's, it's especially <laughs> close to home. And uh, currently I'm doing, you know, like a general practice. And uh, I'm also an aerialist instructor, which is the program that we often uh, talk about at Saw.net. It's uh, at Spree.com. And, um, and I'm very happy to be here tonight. <laughs> great. Yeah, well, it's, <clears throat> it's great to have everybody together. Um, Gabby, could you repeat that uh, URL? It, it cut out just slightly. I want to make sure everybody hears it. For yes. the uh, Areolus e website. eebreathe.com. Great. All right. Well, we have, uh, I, we're going to start out the show here with a little bit of review of uh, this week in health and wellness. Um, we have a couple articles that we just kind of wanted to talk about and talk about what's going on uh, in the world and, uh, and in the U.S. as well. Um, uh, we have one here. Uh, BPA in uh, in cans and aluminum cans has been cleared again by the FDA. Uh, the Federal Food and Drug Administration has quietly reaffirmed its positions its position that Americans are not being harmed by BPA, uh, a synthetic estrogen that is an essential ingredient of the epoxy coating that lines the insides of most food cans that are made uh, in the USA. And uh, <clears throat> while it's generally accepted among uh, uh, professionals and non-professionals uh, that, you know, have researched the topic that BPA is harmful uh, to people that ingest it. Um, the, the FDA, kind of along their their standard MO, uh, has, has said once again that they think it's not harmful. Uh, the kicker being uh, that it is a, um, 
$126.3 billion industry uh, per year. So there's a lot of money at stake. And uh, I mean, if you if you really even just give it a cursory glance, you can see uh, why they would want to promote that, um, because there's tons of money coming in. Uh, their main argument is that these tiny, uh, you know, allegedly tiny amounts of, of BPA that are in the cans themselves are not harmful. But there's also a lot of data that shows that they are. Um, so I think just once again, the FDA has, has shown its um, its true colors here. Um, we, we have a couple other uh, articles that we wanted to cover. Erica, do you want to talk briefly about the new oil from DuPont? Yes. Yeah, so kind of one of the shocking articles this week that I found was the new G- GMO soybean cooking oil unleashed by DuPont. And uh, basically, it was it's going to be used at a farm fair in uh, Pennsylvania, and they're touting the benefits of it, how it's, it's this great, new, clean, more healthful cooking oil. And for those who don't know about DuPont, they're actually a chemical company, and their uh, motto developed in 1935 was better living through chemistry. So... That alone in itself is a little bit scary. Um, They changed their motto in 1982, and they dropped the through chemistry part. And uh, part of why they were saying that was because uh, they wanted the the statement to be used for commentary on several topics to promote prescription or recreational drugs and to praise chemicals and plastics. So... (laughs) As somebody who who extensively has researched the GMO topic and has seen it take over the Hawaiian Islands, essentially, because uh, we produce all the seed for all the GMO crops in the United States, it's pretty frightening. And this uh, article that's carried on SOT is basically they're trying to present it this GMO soybean oil as this great new alternative. And if you read the article, what's really frightening is that they said that this oil has already been used in restaurants for some time now. So Hmm. with all the um, people starting to gain information and knowledge about GMO, you know, that this seems like the use of it at this farm fair and, and getting people to come on down and try it is a way to kind of tackle the bad press that GMOs yeah. are getting. I mean, it's it's really quite scary. One of the things that I wanted to add that was in the article is that they say it's better than saturated fat, more healthful. And they even say that it's uh, beneficial to farmers, which could not be farther from the truth. And they kind of just glaze over all the issues you know, associated with this type of what I call mad science. So really get away check with it out. You know, about saturated, it's better than saturated fat. I mean, basically, it is official. We all know that saturated fat is good for you. And it was exactly, precisely because we changed saturated fat for, for oils like these, soybean oil, soy oil, that we have like a spike of heart disease, like a health catastrophe, you know. 
and it's official. It's been published in mainstream journals, and uh, no excuse anymore. They cannot really use that motto. Yeah, I think that they're just kind of um, running on momentum at this point. You know, it's like the, you're seeing yeah. more and more scientific articles, art, like scientific journals coming out that saying that, no, we were wrong, saturated fat is not bad for you. In fact, it's actually quite good for you. But it takes a while for the mainstream to kind of pick that up and start running with it. Um, you know, they're still so entrenched in the same paradigm that, saturated fat is evil. And I think like people, like the readers out there or like the, the general public is really in a confused state because on the one hand, um, they, they're following these dietary recommendations that have been around for the last 60 years or so, um, despite the fact that their, their health is all failing. Um, but then at the same time, suddenly they're, they're um, hearing, you know, little whispers of the fact, oh, wait, saturated fat isn't as, as bad for you as you thought. So it, it's like everybody seems very confused. Even when, like, when I talk to people like clients or, um, or just the general public, family members, nobody knows anything anymore. They're like, I don't know what to eat. I have no idea. So it really, it really is think, a, a very confusing time. A big part of yeah. that is the, the variety of mixed messages that are put out there. So it's really no surprised that people are confused and they go to their doctor and they go to their nutritionist and their doctor still buys into the whole saturated fat is evil and so does their nutritionist. Yeah. So if they're presented with information that says that saturated fat is actually good for you and their doctor tells them differently, they're going to listen to their doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the tricky things about this as well is that they, they do say that it's not hydrogenated. And so I think some people have become aware that hydrogenated oils are bad. And so when they say it's not hydrogenated, then, well, it must be okay. But um, we also, besides the GMO issue, we understand that soy contains a high level, level of uh, phytoestrogens, which can be very damaging mm -hmm. to the balance uh, within everybody's body. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of ties back into the BPA issue too, which is also an estrogen mimicker. Yeah. Yes. Which can be toxic even at very low levels. Like mm -hmm. people don't understand that we cannot use safety levels for uh, 80 kilograms, you know, big adult when we have to protect, you know, children, babies. And, and we also the whole combination. You. Sorry, Yari. It's also the whole combination of chemicals. It's not only BPA. Right. And we have to yeah, protect and, and, uh, uh, young children and especially boys from growing breasts. Which yeah. BPA can do, phytoestrogen can do. And also the growing concern with, um, you know, this whole infertility issue that women are dealing with and the connection that things like BPA and endocrine disruptors have. You know, mm -hmm. there's just been a surge of issues with um, infertility problems that women are having. That's true, and also little girls, like at six years old, you're getting your first menstruation as well. It's like, mm -hmm. like an endocrine chaotic, you know, block. Yeah. Well, yeah so this uh, this soy oil, they're calling it plenish, and kind of they're <laughs> selling, yeah, their selling um, point is that it has zero trans fat, which is that hydrogenated oil, and that um, it uh, 
20% less saturated fat, another bad cholesterol booster is what they're saying. And um, they're kind of touting it at this Pennsylvania farm show because they're saying you can fry your mushrooms in it and actually taste the mushrooms and not the oil. <laughs> yeah, and, I thought that was uh, so silly. Like, <laughs> how many oils out there are completely overwhelming the taste of the food that you're frying in it? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, canola oil was a, a big thing in the health food industry, and you probably know this, Doug, as well, Doug. Um, and, you know, it's basically a rapeseed oil that has a very bad taste, yeah. and so they have to heavily process it, and it's pretty much all GMO as well, and people yeah. are kind of Is moving away from poison? that. Oh, yeah, I do believe so. I mean, I know it ha it's a type of mustard seed, so it has a very strong, pungent taste. And so they have mm -hmm. to do all yeah. kinds of chemistry. To well, it's not just the taste it. either. The, um, the, the rapeseed is actually toxic. Um, so when they made canola, they had to, um, uh, you know, modify it and change it and, and interbreed the seeds and, and kind of try and breed out that toxicity. But I know that um, Sally Fallon from the uh, Weston A. Price Foundation has said that, um, like, she doesn't trust it at all because, you know, how do you know they got rid of all that kind of toxic element to it? Um, it could very well still have some of that toxicity that, you know, it might not affect you having it once, but uh, if it's your main cooking oil over time, that kind of stuff can build up. Oh, yeah. And yeah, at and the end of the article, they made a point to say, you know, uh, hopefully in the future this plenish will be able to be um, re replace petroleum-based lubricants in industrial and automated <laughs> uses. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. wow. So you can cook your dinner well, and kind of... oil your bike chain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and run your car. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that kind of leads us into our, our next uh topic from the last week where um, fast food companies are saying, hey, we're not using an ingredient that's in uh, yoga mats, <laughs> you know, yeah, and and that's supposed to be a good thing that they were even using that in the first place. Doug, do you want to go over that story a little bit? That the fast food companies are, are trying to uh, trying to transform their, their image regarding junk food. Did we lose Doug? Oh, to fast casual restaurants. You got I'm sorry, Doug. We we lost you for a minute. Can you start from where you had started, please? Um, can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Okay, good. All right. So, yeah, the article basically just starts off saying fast food chains are losing market share to fast casual restaurants like Chipotle, which offer organic ingredients. So they're creating healthier menu items to compete. And so it's basically saying that there's kind of this new style of restaurant that isn't quite fast food, but uh, and they're more uh, emphasizing these kind of fresh ingredients and things like that. Chipotle is one of them. I think uh, um, Panera is another one. Um, but, you know, the, the traditional fast food restaurants like your Taco Bells, your KFCs, your McDonald's are losing market share. They say in here that um, – where is it here? Yeah, um, McDonald's reported a 4.6% uh, decline in U.S. sales for November, um, capping two years of struggling performance. So I think it's basically just, um, 
you know, it's indicative of people becoming a little bit more health conscious about these sorts of things, um, realizing that maybe um, they need to be a little bit more uh, diligent with um, what they're actually putting into their body, at least to a certain extent. Um, so, of course, you know, these uh, big corporations um, don't like to see themselves losing a dollar, so they're trying to uh, change their image um, by promoting um, different things like not using preservatives. Um, uh, doesn't really mention anything about all the different flavor enhancers and things like that, which are kind of the real um, issue in my mind. Um, but, yeah, I mean... When it comes down to it, um, you know, the, it, it is really for them all about this image, right? Um, they don't want to lose their market share, so they are changing um, what they think people want um, or will respond to. Um, so it's not like these companies are suddenly caring, right? You know, um, right. I think they said somewhere, I can't remember which restaurant it was, I mean, it might have been Subway or something like that, they said they're not going to be using... Um, meats from uh, antibiotic-fed um, animals anymore. Um, well, I mean, you have to realize that they're not doing that because they actually care about these animals. Like, they don't care about the well-being of these animals or anything like that. They just do it because they know that's like a buzzword. Um, so, uh, and I think that, that you know, the, what, the main issue is that they will use this as a means of kind of drawing your attention away from what is wrong. I mean, the entire model of fast food is wrong. You know, there is nothing they could do to make it suddenly healthy. So they will draw your attention to these little stupid things that, like, um, you know, oh, we're not using this specific preservative anymore. It's like, okay, well, what about the 10 other ones we're using? Or what about all the flavor enhancers? <laughs> yeah. What about all the, you know, all this other kind of stuff that's in there? You know, this just, it's, not, it's the whole model that is like a diseased food model. So, yeah, they really cannot redeem yeah. themselves. Yeah. People have to be very suspicious about, you know, the food industry in general, not only fast food companies, but the entire food industry. Because basically they, you know, food industry is marketing. So if people are, you know, health conscious and they try to avoid toxic foods like gluten, gluten, you know, they they exploit that and they sell like a really crappy product that is full of sugar and it still has gluten and they put and they put the label gluten free you know and everybody yeah. buys it it's more expensive and it's like <laughs> really the yeah. safest thing to do is just cook your own food know where your food comes from and mm -hmm. don't depend on other uh, big companies to feed you yeah exactly. <laughs> Chemical companies at that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, though. You know, this whole term um, greenwashing has kind of come up recently where they basically talk about how a corporation will kind of um, put these buzzwords out there and stuff as a means of marketing their product as being more green, uh, being more healthy, all this sort of stuff. And and it's just like, kind of like what, what Gabby was talking about with the whole gluten-free thing, right? You know, you have this... What basically amounts to complete junk food, but it's gluten free. So, you know, it's suddenly, you know, people see that buzzword and might not be totally educated on what even gluten is. They just know that, oh, suddenly gluten is bad, so maybe I should be avoiding it. So they say, oh, look, these uh, chocolate sugar balmy things are, you know, gluten free. It's like, well, okay, but that doesn't make it healthy. 
Yeah. Okay. I have an exactly. uh, perfect think... sample. Sorry, I just wanna uh, I just wanna say that I have a perfect sample here about how the food industry, you know, it has its tentacles in the mainstream medicine, for example. International Diabetes Federation is an organization that aims to develop national policies for the prevention, treatment, and care of diabetes. Their commercial partners include the insulin manufacturers, Sanofi, Novo Nordisk, you know, these are all pharmaceutical companies, and the processed food giant Nestle. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> Nestle. That's N E S T L E. Oh, Nestle. Yes, uh, yes. Nestle. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, I, mean, and I have like, <laughs> I have little booklets, oh. you know, to hand up for patients. They're made by this food company, you know, and they basically like promote sugar and everything that is wrong for diabetes, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the promoted diabetes diet is is deplorable. Yeah, I mean, even just a few years ago, uh, uh, you know, a uh, medical organization who will remain nameless was uh, was holding a fundraiser for diabetes research, and at the fundraiser, they were serving uh, soda, Coke, and Pepsi, and uh, hot dogs, <laughs> you know, with, with white yeah. bread buns. That's <laughs> like, okay as long you as you take your insulin. So we can treat you. Yeah. If you take your insulin, you can eat whatever you want. <laughs> That's what they'd have you believe. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the whole um, uh, KFC had that pink ribbon campaign, you know, that they were, you know, donating some of the money from uh, when you bought a bucket of uh, their trans fat loaded gluten covered chicken. Um, they would donate some of that money to the breast cancer fund. And it's like, you know, the irony there is just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, they all feed into each other. Uh, one of yeah. the products that they promote goes to fund Big Pharma and pads their pockets. So it's just all ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, uh, Tiffany, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, this other article that re regarding the state-mandated chemotherapy? Yes, an egregious example of medical fascism, if I've ever seen one. But this isn't the first. But this particular article focuses on a 17-year-old girl from Connecticut named uh, Cassandra. Uh, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is uh, a blood cancer. And uh, she had said before, like, if she ever came down with cancer, she would always just want to use natural treatments. So uh, the doctor is insisting that she take chemotherapy. And at one point, she actually ran away from home because she didn't want to submit to the chemotherapy. And they got her back, and they actually got into a physical altercation, a fight. She was defending herself from the doctors, and they eventually subdued her and strapped her down to the table, and they gave her chemotherapy against her will. And Jeez. Even oh. after that, um, I think that she and her mother took this case to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled that the government has the power to force a minor to undergo chemotherapy treatments, even if she doesn't want to. That's disgusting. So this, 
this 17-year-old is basically being poisoned by the government, and there's nothing that she can do, nothing that she can do about it. And they're utilizing the police to enforce it. Yes. So I can only hope that she turns 18 really soon and she's able to get herself out of this situation because this is, this is just terrible. I mean, everyone knows. It is terrible. People should know that. It's just the latest example. Yeah. I remember, well, this case particularly is chemotherapy, but last year I remember the case of Justina Pelletier. I'm not recently bells for you. It's basically a... um, a girl who was taken to the emergency room, um, she was diagnosed with a mitochondrial energy disease. Like, so she had her own, you know, healthcare professional, and things were going great. She just went to the emergency room to the mainstream hospital in the U.S. and um, they decided that diagnosis was wrong, and they wanted to, you know, basically. They basically labeled her with a psychiatric disease, like she was making these diseases up. And the parents lost custody of the girl. And it was a long battle before they recovered her back. And she was like, you know, skating. And in the end, after being in psychiatric care for several months, she was in a wheelchair, literally. Well, there's a, there's another couple of cases. There was a, a 10-year-old Amish girl from Ohio. Um, her family, they had to go into hiding to avoid her having to get chemotherapy. Oh and God. another another 18, no, 8-year-old girl, uh, the court ruled that she has to take chemotherapy. So the question becomes, okay, since we're now to the point in this country of forcing people to take treatments against their will, is it going to stop with chemotherapy? Or is it going to Mm -hmm. go on to other treatments like forced vaccination? I mean, there's already a lot of manipulation and propaganda and coercion to get people to take things like vaccines and chemotherapies. Like, if you don't take this, you're going to be so sick or you're going to die. Oncologists will say, well, if you don't take this chemotherapy, you're going to die immediately. You only have so many months to live. You have to take this. So is this going to stop? Are we going to really roll into complete medical fascism for children and adults? And it's not only the fascism. It's also the medical treatments by themselves. They're toxic. Okay, chemotherapy is toxic. These psychiatric drugs are known to be like the equivalent of chemical lobotomy. And they enforce it to children. You know, the whole thing is just wrong. It's just beyond fascism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forced poisoning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one thing, you know, it's it's devious enough to work it into the food supply uh, the way that mm-hmm. they do. But not, not only that, but to, to actually use the, the police and the CPS to forcibly take someone from their parents and inject them with a, with a poison. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, we uh, uh, moving along in our, in our show and the topics that we have, um, <clears throat> we're obviously not going to cover all of these topics during this show. But as the show proceeds, we would like to go through this general list of uh, the health myths that and lies that have been propagated throughout our uh, our culture 
you know, whether it be by the government or by the medical establishment. Uh, and um, we just kind of like to cover each one uh, briefly while we're here uh, today, and then we'll go in more in depth into each topic in, in future episodes. Um, and we actually have a caller on the line who uh, may apply uh, perfectly to our first uh, topic, which is our first myth, uh, which is the idea that the low cholesterol, uh, low cholesterol, low fat diet is supposed to be good for you. Um, and uh, our, our caller is, uh, uh, is struggling with an issue of uh, keto adaptation, uh, doing the, uh, the, the keto diet. Uh, and has been wondering about getting too much protein, and so I'm going to bring this person on here, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can talk about. Caller, can can you say your uh, your name and where you're calling from, please? Hi there, this is Jen calling from North Carolina. Hi Jen. Hi Jen. Hi, Jen. Hello. Hi everyone. Welcome. Congratulations on the new show. Thanks. Thank you. What uh, what was your specific question, Jen? You had something uh, concerning uh, the keto adaptation and protein. Well, um, I don't know if it's necessarily a question, but I just wanted to stress the fact that um, once you begin to go keto like I did, that you're really monitoring your um, fat intake versus the carb intake or protein intake. I found out that I was getting too much protein and not enough fat. Mm -hmm. um, so I finally decided to get the uh, readers, the keto, the ketone readers, so I could mm -hmm. actually see where my ketones were. Um, because I was eating too much protein and not getting enough fat, I, it was still turning into carbs, and I was putting on weight, and I found that extremely annoying, and um, there were more pains like what I thought were arthritic pains. And I found after having monitored my ketones that I was probably getting too much protein, so I altered my diet again. And um, it was amazing how much weight I actually started to lose and how much I actually started to feel better. So maybe you guys could kind of expand on the whole idea of fats versus protein. Even though you've cut out carbs, you're still going to put on the weight. Because other people that I've talked to don't understand the idea that protein, extra protein, actually does end up turning into sugar. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty common uh, common mistake, actually. I think when people are kind of converting themselves over to a ketogenic diet, um, you know, they've dropped their their carbohydrates down, um, and suddenly then they they instead of replacing that with fat. Um, start eating much more protein. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, protein does um, actually uh, convert into sugar. Excess protein does. If you, if you give your body more protein than it needs uh, for its basic functions, it will start to, because it can't be stored, so it starts to be uh, converted into carbohydrate and then uh, burned as sugar. Um, so I think that, that people, you know, they don't, um, it, it's like they're, they're resisting actually making that switch over to being in a, in a fat-burning mode. Um, and that, that's just uh, where your body um, goes from primarily burning carbohydrate for energy to primarily burning uh, fat for energy. Um, so I think people, um, you know, there's, it, it, the transition can be difficult. So I think that there's, there's kind of this, um, I don't know if it's like a, a subconscious thing or, or um, you know, they, they – 
instead of um, actually just kind of biting the bullet and going through with the higher fat uh, consumption, uh, they will just raise their protein. And I made that mistake myself, actually, when I was first converting over. Um, I was having um, symptoms of hypoglycemia and all these different blood sugar swings when I'm supposed to be on this ketogenic diet, and I didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually dropped the protein that, you know, suddenly, like you said, the weight started coming off um, and, and that sort of thing. The pain started going away, and you start feeling, well, I started getting more energy. and Yeah. And it was amazing when you start to, to, you know, everybody's tailored differently, but once you start to get it right for your individual self, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I also think that a lot of people, when they first make the transition from a sad diet to a paleo or a keto diet, they still might harbor some suspicions that eating a lot of fat will make you fat. Yeah. So even though they may yeah. have researched it before they've done it, they still hold on to that belief that lots of fat makes you fat. So I think they're yep. probably a little bit afraid to up the fat yeah. in order to make themselves satisfied. So that's another thing. Well, sure. Yeah. If you think about it, we have been brainwashed against fat since 1940s, 50s, especially afterwards, after 1950s. So mm-hmm. it's been like, you know, you know, decades and decades of, you know, being very afraid of fat, especially saturated fat. And uh, it's been very recent since we, you know, mainstream medicine has admitted that, like, oops, it was a mistake. And, <laughs> it, you know, we can literally be, you know, talking about this subject and trying to deprogram our brains for like decades and, you know... <laughs> That's why I think most, a lot of people are afraid of that. But basically, like to recap, you know, the ketogenic diet is basically that a high fat diet, and you have to lose fear of saturated fat, and you most please. <laughs> well, it's absolutely yeah. been programmed into us. Um, I know that one of the kickers for me, um, besides uh, the vegetarian myth, having read that and then reading Primal Body, Primal Mind, because I was a vegetarian for 30 years. Mm. And something had to change because I knew my brain wasn't working. You know, I I could feel it. I knew it. And um, Dr. Dwight Wendell, the former heart surgeon, I cannot remember the title of his book at the moment, but he's actually one of the surgeons, heart surgeons that came out after doing, I want to say, over 5,000 uh, bypass surgeries came out and said that the whole high fat issue was BS, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was another one. But um. Yeah. I, you guys, I'm gonna go ahead and get off. But I wanted to make sure that that topic was covered because I know that's a big issue with people that are trying to make the transition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Jen. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. Bye, Jen. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, as we know, you know, knowledge protects in these areas. And so doing your own own research and really making sure that you're covering all the bases and really looking deeply into it is is very important and not just taking people's word for it. Um, You need to dig into the primary sources, read the material, and, and find out why these things are true. But along the lines of, Doug, you were talking about the gluten-free diet being kind of, uh, everybody thinks it's, it's healthy, but they're only cutting out gluten. They're still eating a lot of sugar and other things. 
uh, mm-hmm. maybe for our listeners who might not be familiar, can we briefly kind of go over, and they may have heard these terms, paleo diet, keto diet. Uh, can we briefly kind of run through what those are and, and what that progression might look like in somebody who's trying to change their diet? Because I know that yeah, there are sure. major differences. Yeah, you want me to do that? Or? Paleo and, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, with your nutritional background, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you have uh, yeah. worked on this with some people. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, um, essentially a paleo diet is is a diet that um, mimics the diet of our ancestors um, predating agriculture. So it doesn't um, involve any of the products of agriculture, all the um, mass monocropping, you know, your wheat, your grains, your legumes, all those sorts of things. It's more of a, of a hunter-gatherer diet. And the reasoning behind that is that um, most of the chronic disease that we see today um, only came up um, post-agriculture. Um, so the, the idea being that, it's, uh, you know, we've spent, you know, whatever millions of years kind of evolving, um, eating essentially the same diet. You know, it's a hunter-gatherer diet we've been eating all along. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, 10,000 years ago, our diets drastically changed. And that's when you see all these um, chronic diseases starting to show up. Um, we actually uh, became shorter, um, started having dental problems. Um, you know, our, our hunter-gatherer ancestors never had problems with their wisdom teeth or anything like that or crooked teeth. Um, we do. So um, a paleo diet is essentially just that, one that kind of rejects all these modern um, foods, neolithic foods as they're called, um, in favor of a hunter-gatherer diet. So, you know, a, a, somebody on paleo diet would never, um, you know, would, would avoid all grains. So that includes breads, pastas, um, all that sort of stuff. Anything uh, like uh, legumes, soy in particular, um, modern uh, vegetable oils, uh, you know, anything. You know, if you, if you think about what a hunter-gatherer would, would eat, um, you know, you know I, I get this argument sometimes from people where they're like, well, you know, if a hunter-gatherer came across wheat, they might eat it. And it's like, yes, they might have, but they certainly wouldn't gather enough to, you know, bake bread every day um, to have for like yeah. three meals a day. You know, there's just there's no way. So, you know, maybe um, a hunter gatherer encountering a, an ancient form of wheat could eat it once and not not actually have an issue with it. But um, but, you know, every day, um, three meals a day, you know, obviously that's not not the same thing. We're not looking at the same thing there. So, um, yeah, and we see that the wheat has been so altered now um, that it's, mm-hmm. it yeah. contains much higher level of gluten than it used to and uh, opiates and other things that are that are making people addicted. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's all kinds of problems. I mean, you know, soy as well. You know, soy is in absolutely everything. And, um, you know, it's been genetically modified and sprayed with this and that. And there, there's like, you know, it, it doesn't even like a little bit resemble um, something that you know a, a hunter gatherer would have come across in his in his travels back in the day. So right. yeah, I mean that's that's uh, you know what what a paleo diet basically looks like is eating you know meat and vegetables. That's basically it. Right. Um, right. So 
and, and you know, it sounds it sounds um, boring or simplistic or something, but there's actually a lot you can do on a paleo diet. And I mean, I know Jonathan, you're you're uh, you know, you, you do a lot of, uh, of recipes and things like that, coming up with these with these different creations and stuff. So it's uh, you would know that there there is so much kind of wiggle room there for uh, somebody to be able to do um, pretty interesting things. There really is. Uh, I mean, I, I struggled for a long time with that uh, that absence of what I thought was a good taste uh, until I corrected what I was eating and realized that you really can make delicious things in the kitchen that are actually good for you, and you don't have to stack tombstone pizzas on top of each other. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um, well, and it's also good to have a support network, you know, um, yeah. like you were saying, important to have information and references, but also you know, if you're living with other people or uh, spouses, you know, to support each other, to stay on it, because there's so much pressure, you know, when you go out, people start, well, you can't eat this, or you can't eat that, or what do you eat? Well, how does it, how does it, you know, you make food taste good. And so it's, it's really great to have people that can talk to you or that you can exchange ideas and even recipes with and and get people interested and um, at least to be open-minded about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also because when you go out and you walk in the streets, every block you see advertisement for a food company or fast food restaurant or, you know, basically I usually call, you know, these stories like, you know, they sell like, like drug dealers because basically gluten has opioid activity. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, they sell bread at each corner, you know, basically a drug dealer on every street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that's a question that always comes up. Well, well, what do you eat? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Real one. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, but then, you I know, it's also the, being... Uh... Oh, go on. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it's, again, that idea of having that support network where, you you know, like with my husband, we're both on the same diet and we support each other and I make a point to not buy foods that would would slip off that diet and just having somebody that, you know, you can cook for each other and exchange ideas and, you know, again, that support network is really important and being able to address those questions that come up, like um, Jen shared, you know, oh, am I doing this right? I don't feel right. Uh, something feels off, you know, and ha- yeah, having right. the knowledge to to deal with that. And then in social situations, you know, my husband just says, I can't eat it. I'm diabetic. You know, this is mm-hmm. why I have to eat this diet because it's it's a health concern. And usually people will... We'll, we'll move away from trying to press you if you just say, well, I have a medical condition. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that another yeah. thing, um, you know, we were talking about the, uh, um, you know, gluten-free products and things like that. Another reason the social um, network is important, I think, is because there is so much misinformation out there. Um, and, you know, all this different marketing and stuff like that, like, um, the gluten-free thing is, is huge. Like all, all these different gluten-free products, you know, quote unquote. Um, but, uh, you know, that I've actually seen a lot of, uh, paleo marketed stuff, 
lately where it's like this this is a, a paleo bar, you know, and it's some kind of snack bar. And I look at the ingredients and it's loaded with sugar. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, by no stretch of the imagination is this paleo, but because it's not like, you know, there's no official definition of paleo. Like anybody could slap the word paleo on their product, right? So I think that social network yeah. is, is important because you can kind of voice these concerns and go, are these paleo bars really paleo? And then you'll have people come back and say, absolutely not. Don't eat that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another good thing yeah, about the network the is that you can um, you can share recipes, you can get together and cook. A really surprising thing is that so many people do not know how to cook. They don't know how to prepare their own foods and feed themselves because yeah. they're used to eating yeah. fast food. They're used to buying prepackaged meals, uh, microwavable meals, and now when they're faced with changing their diet, even though they really, really want to, they just don't know how to cook. And they're yeah. afraid to get into the kitchen. So a good part of having a network is being able to share recipes and share ideas. And don't be afraid to get in there in the kitchen. You might burn some things or mess something up, but, you know, keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. It is staggering. I had a friend who went to the uh, the grocery store to get a uh, a chicken, get a whole a whole chicken. Fortunately, they do carry these, these good antibiotic hormone-free chickens in our area. Um but the uh, the person at the checkout counter was like, "What do you what do you do with this? How, how do you do this? Huh. You know?" And it was like, "Please just throw it in the oven," <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, there's a sounding lack of uh, of understanding about how to cook anything at home. Yeah. yeah. Sad. Yeah, and it's not really taught to people. There's not this idea how grandma used to save all the bacon grease and fry everything in bacon grease, and you know, people mm-hmm. just aren't taught now to be more, um, you know, diverse and, and to save the oil that you, that you cook your bacon in and to use it to fry whatever you're eating. And, you know, it's like horrifying, what you save your bacon grease and it sits in that jar on the counter for two months and nothing happens to it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, my mom actually, when she cooked bacon, puts it onto paper towel and pats it dry. There's no oh, bacon grease left on there. No, you can't can't have any of that. Mm-hmm. The yep. best part. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh well, let's uh, let's let's move through our list. Or there was, I'm sorry, there was one thing I wanted to address, which was we were talking about these terms and and how people recognize, you know, the word paleo, and you have your paleo bar that's full of sugar, and it's not really accurate. Um, but people might also have heard this term keto or ketogenic. Mm-hmm. And now to my understanding, mm-hmm. uh, commonly people that are on the paleo diet, quote unquote, are also eating things like uh, sweet potatoes and things that have carbohydrates in them. Maybe not a lot, but they are still eating that. Uh, and the ketogenic mm-hmm. diet is is different from that in the sense that you're cutting your carbs close to zero, if not all the way down to zero. Um, and I wonder, uh, Gabby, Gabriella, with your medical experience, could you tell us why that might be? Why would you want to eliminate carbs entirely from your diet? Yes, um, I think the biggest difference between paleo and keto diet, paleo diet includes a lot of fruit, you know, also sometimes tubers, but people on the paleo diet do eat fruits. And uh, as far as research goes, um, you know, we already know that one fruit per day can be a little bit too much already. It predisposes you for Alzheimer's disease. 
It's just basically sugar has like this um, caramelizing effect on the body. It ages you. It literally ages you. And um, the that's the thing with the paleo diet. It might not be. It might be already too much sugar for some people. And the keto diet is basically a high fat diet, like we spoke and we went through uh, with Dan on the phone call. And uh, it's restricted, moderately restricted in protein, because as we saw, uh, if you overeat protein, it ends up, ends up converting sugar in your body, and it's the same effect of having too much sugar. And as you said, yeah, it basically goes, it can be even less than 50 grams of carbohydrates per day. It can put you on a ketogenic uh, level, um, on, a, on a ketogenic metabolism, which is basically when your body uses um, fatty products as energy sources, you know, and it is called ketones. That's why it's called ketogenic diet. And it's an entirely physiological state. And the important thing to remember is that your body and your brain can live with zero amount of of carbohydrate intake. You can eat literally no sugar at all, no carbohydrates at all, and your brain will use ketones instead. So that thing about necessary um, a minimal uh, necessary amount of carbohydrates to survive it's a, it's a myth. It's not of our our myths that we will develop in the shows, I guess. But um, and the level to stay, you know, on this fat burning mode when your body uses ketones, it depends on each individual. That's why people can get the a little machine that that measures like ketone levels in your blood pretty much like diabetics use for a quick test, you know, like, and uh, you can measure keto levels. And for some, it will be like, you know, they can stay on a ketogenic metabolism while consuming, you know, between 20, 40 grams of carbohydrates per day. And um, some people feel like they need to go up to zero, closer to zero, depending on, you know, on every person their diseases, their metabolism, their environment. It depends on a lot of issues as well. But, yes, it's um, and it's uh, the ideal diet, you know. It's a rejuvenating diet, ketones. It's, um, it's not only an, an energy source, but it also has, like, an anti-inflammatory effect in your body. That's why it's so healing. And that's why it's used in mainstream medicine for, to treat epilepsy, you know, it, like, rewires your brain, you know, and uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating research. We hope to make a show entirely about this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. Um, let's uh, let's go through our, our list a, bit, a little bit more here, and we'll give people an idea of uh, some of the other topics that we're going to be talking about. We have here one of the other myths, health myths, is that fluoride is good for dental health. When in fact, I believe the case is exactly the opposite. Is that not true? That is true. It can cause uh, dental fluorosis, which is where your teeth become discolored and have little spots on them from having too much fluoride. So no, fluoride is not good for your teeth, nor is it good for your brain or your pineal gland either. Or your bones. Yeah. And it's a chemical byproduct of fertilizer production. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's the whole reason that it's in our, our water supply. You know, this whole thing about uh, it helping with your dental health is just, you know, it's just a ruse. Really, this is just a way for these fertilizer companies to get rid of a waste product that is very expensive for them to get rid of otherwise. So instead of actually having to pay that to get rid of their their dangerous byproduct, they uh, actually sell it at a profit to uh, these uh, municipalities to put into their drinking water. It's pretty disgusting. So, Doug, are you it saying is. that we're human garbage cans? <laughs> <laughs> if you drink in tap water, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they used to use, didn't well, they use uh, fluoride in the water in Nazi concentration camps because it kept uh, people docile and subservient and lowered IQ? I still have yet to find out if that's true. I, I, okay. I looked into that a while ago, and, and it, it, it's really just one of those things that spreads around on the Internet, and I, I don't know how much truth there is to it. I'd be curious yeah. to know. I don't know how much truth there is to it either, but I do know um, that the U.S. military bases have fluoridated water, whereas other mm. municipal water sources, at least on the island that we're on, does not have fluoridation. So there could be something to that. Well, yeah, it's in um, pharmaceutical drugs, too. Uh, what's what's the major um, antidepressant? Prozac. Um, Prozac, Prozac, yeah. Yeah, that's, Prozac. that's like fluoride. Yeah, so there you yeah. go, right there. <laughs> yes. But I don't understand why they... Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, they put it in the water. We already established that we're human garbage cans, but mm. it's in the toothpaste, too, so we're getting double the fluoride? Yeah. 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 Oh, and when, well, when you're a child, you get fluoridation, you know, a liquid fluoride drop. Every time you take your kids to the dentist, they want to give them this liquid fluoride drop in mm. in addition to it being in the water and the toothpaste. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is it, it is uh, it's not a, um, a necessary mineral for um, human health um, or any mammal health, as far yeah. as I know. Nobody actually needs it. So what it essentially is is a medication, right? Yeah. So what yeah. they are doing is putting medication into the water. And whenever you put medication into the water in that kind of situation, you have no way of metering out the dose to anybody, Right. So um, right. a person who is brushing with fluoridated toothpaste, drinking tap water, uh, cooking all their food in tap water, eating um, meats that of animals that were eating, um, uh, drinking tap water, et cetera, et cetera, it, it's building up and there's absolutely no way to determine how much any individual is actually getting. So yeah. just even leaving aside the idea that, that it actually uh, has some sort of harmful effect, it's it's a medication that you, that you know they're giving to people with absolutely no way of determining how much they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite something. But we're but I'm fortunate to live in an area where our local company, uh, local water company, doesn't fluoridate the water. Um, but mm. that that doesn't mean you know that it doesn't come from uh, from everywhere else. And like you said, uh, you know, uh, I also don't use um, toothpaste that has fluoride in it. So. We try to be very careful about that, but you really have to watch mm -hmm. out where these everything that's coming into your body that your skin is coming into contact with, you really have to keep an eye out for that. Mm -hmm. um, now, along the lines of our uh, our list here of topics, uh, just to give people more ideas of what we're going to talk about as the show moves forward, uh, we have vaccines, and I'm sure we're going to stir up a little hornet's nest 
uh, with this one uh, because yeah, that's <laughs> it a is show such within a itself. <laughs> it is. It really. I mean, it's such a and it's such a sacred cow for some people. I know. I mean, I I, I I've actually talked to some people who were like, you know. Uh, it, we're going to make that their kids are going to make everybody else sick. Uh, and, you know, when in truth, it's the vaccines that are spreading these immune deficiencies. And I wonder if you guys could cover that a little bit. Uh, um, guess, I'll, uh, take a, I'll take a stab <laughs> at it. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> um, well, I, I, a couple of months ago, had a, a little informational article on SOT just for parents who have concerns. And, um, you know, again, it's a choice. And when people choose to kind of look into it, it can be very whelming, overwhelming information and kind of freak people out and, and, and they get paralyzed, so to speak. And so um, I found just in my own personal experience because I do have two children that are grown um, when I originally said no to vaccines I didn't really know why I just knew something was fishy about the whole thing and luckily I live in a community where most of the children that my children were friends with were not vaccinated so there wasn't this issue of like your kid can't play with my kid kind of thing as I started to read more about it and see what was happening to kids that were getting vaccinated. Um, it's really freaked me out, to be honest with you. And um, I just started compiling an informational list. And in the last five years, I've had a lot of friends have kids and they call me and what do I do? You know, my doctor's telling me that I have to do this. And it's a big state supported program where, you know, you're getting calls and leaflets and, and all this pressure to comply, and you have to sign a waiver every time you give a child a vaccination that if something negative happens that you're not going to sue the company or the doctor. So <laughs> that was a big red flag for me. Yeah. And um, I will say that having my children not be vaccinated, they've never really been sick at all. I mean, they've had the chicken pox and, and a cold or a flu once or twice. But for the most part, they have very strong immune systems. And mm -hmm. what I'm noticing in children that are given, I think now it's 56 shots between, <laughs> you know, zero and uh, five years old. And what they're doing is they're combining shots, um, you know, like the Hib, the hepatitis influenza B kind of thing. And the the adjuncts or whatever they're yeah that they're it's just like a, a chemical overload for the body mm -hmm. and some children can process it better than others and um it's just really frightening and for me anything that the government gives away for free and <laughs> is pushing like that is questionable because yeah. you know mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, the, like I said, the calling, you got to come, you got to come. And then when you say, well, no, I'm taking some time to decide, then it becomes mm -hmm. this heavy pressure. Well, if you don't do this, you know, they haven't involved the CPS, Child Protective Services, yet. But mm -hmm. I, what I advise parents is you just say it's a religious choice. And usually mm -hmm. the doctor will respect that. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, yeah, it's just scary. And then the flu vaccine, and I'm sure Tiffany will has shared that already. Um, you see the signs everywhere, and, and it's in every Long's, it's in every grocery store. And even in the schools here, they're giving the one up the nose. So if, you know, like my daughter was in high school two years ago, and they said, well, your daughter needs a fa- vaccine. And she said, well, I'm not vaccinated. Oh, well, you can get the nasal spray. And, you know, she said, Mom, what do I say? I, you know, I said, no, you don't take it. Just say, no, thank you. Thank you, but no, thank you. It'll just be an extra dose for somebody else, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, <laughs> it's the, the pushing of it, you know, it's, it's really concerning. Yeah, it's pushing. My mother, um, when we were growing up, she was a little suspicious because uh, we were poor and there are all these community clinics or community centers and people would be lined up to get their kids vaccinated. So that made her suspicious. So thank you, Mom, for not having me vaccinated. <laughs> uh, she just took us to the doctor and the doctor faked the test. So thank you, Dr. Swan, for faking. But um, the, the, the false argument that is you don't get your kid vaccinated, then he's going to make everybody else sick. But if vaccines are so great uh, and if they protect, why would your kid get sick? That's why they get vaccinated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's think, becoming uh, such a, a hot topic, too, like just mm-hmm. to share kind of a, a random little synchronicity that I had with it. Within a few days of publishing that article, I went to the bank to have a notary sign the vaccination exemption form for my daughter's school. And the the bank manager said to me, oh, I know this is not really appropriate, but I'm wondering why your child is not vaccinated. (laughs) And I almost fell out of the chair like, wow, does he really want to know? Or am I on camera here? Is there something going on? And I just shared, you know, it's not part of my religion. And and he said, oh, well, you know, I really think it's important. And I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise, but I'm just curious what your stance is on it. And and had it been in a different situation, I might have just whipped out the article and been like, here you go, read for yourself. Yeah. I have a, a oh, and another story thing about vaccines. Well. Oh, sorry, Tiff. Go ahead. Uh, okay, um, I had uh, when you, uh, Erica, when you mentioned uh, chickenpox, and you said that your kids had gotten chickenpox, and I could see people being like, "Well, your kids got chickenpox, so they should have been vaccinated." Um, <laughs> I also got chickenpox when I was young, um, <clears throat> and I actually just this last year uh, had an encounter with shingles which is awful, but it's mm-hmm. not, it, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, and uh, in my research into it, I mean, I read voraciously every day on all day on this topic, trying to learn as much as I could. And I discovered that um, people who have been vaccinated for chicken pox when they were young actually get uh, cases of shingles that are twice as bad as people who weren't uh-huh. vaccinated when they're older Mm -hmm. and so it's like where's the disparity there i mean why would you want to make that a possibility for your child sorry yeah not to mention the whole psychological trauma of getting a shot you know of of the child going in and 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 getting this needle 
And then they say, you know, well, they may, yeah, they may have like a fever for the next few days. And, you know, it's like, um, and again, all those combos together, like I think probably when, Mm -hmm. when I was young, we were getting not nearly as many vaccinations, but it was one shot at one time. It wasn't all these Mm -hmm. combinations of shots. And I think that's, you know, a very serious concern. Yeah. One of the main problems to do with. Uh, Tiffany, what were you going to say there? Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that um, um, Erica mentioned that they they give out free vaccines. Well, technically they're free because you don't have to pay up front, but really they're taxpayer funded. So we're actually paying to be poisoned mm-hmm. by big pharma, <laughs> even though we don't pay at the site of delivery. Um, we actually are paying for them to deliver poisons into yeah. us. And another article that uh, I think I put it up on site the other day, um, vaccine companies, there's this uh, special IRS rule that they can be paid by the government for vaccines, mm-hmm. but they don't actually have to produce those vaccines or deliver those vaccines. They just get the money uh, just in hopes that they can build up their stock so when the vaccine is needed, they can deliver. So they're getting over big time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's let's clarify for people. They might say, um, "What do you mean poisons in vaccines? You know, aren't vaccines uh, helpful?" And we're kind of talking down vaccines, but can can we cover briefly why they're poisonous? You know, they're. I, I understand there's a number of uh, additives, including mercury, which obviously is not good to put into your veins. Yeah, there's mercury, there's squalene, there's formaldehyde. Uh, the marisol and mercury are pretty much the same things. Uh, polysorbate 80, which has been linked to um, uh, spontaneous abortions and infertility. Um, but there's going to be an article on SOP that I, I, I just wrote the other day, uh, so it should be coming up soon, but it actually talks about how vaccines are manufactured and how they grow the virus that they use for vaccines. And I don't want to give too much of it away, but it is, <laughs> it's a sick bag alert because um, some people have heard that um, they grow vaccines in chicken eggs, and we all eat chicken, so that doesn't – I mean, <laughs> we all eat eggs and chicken, but it doesn't sound that bad. But if you consider, like, um, some vaccines are grown in um, – monkey kidney cells or caterpillar ovaries. Uh, People send in clinical samples, which is basically sputum or nasal aspirates, and they uh, isolate what they think is a virus from that, and they come up with flu vaccines every year. Um, And now they're considering actually using uh, cancerous tumor cells to grow vaccine virus. So it's pretty disgusting. Aside from all the additives, just the whole production is just, it's just nastiness. I don't know any other way to describe it. They're just shooting pus into us, and they've been doing it for over 100 years, and I don't think they'll ever stop. They're crazy. Just to give an example, the vaccine adverse event report the reporting system for the U.S. alone has registered like five deaths per month just for the HPV vaccine since 2006. Hmm. Just to give an example. And actually, there has been a spike in the database lately, and 
nobody knows for sure. Maybe people are becoming more aware or, you know, about old vaccination problems and they finally made the link about how their health got deteriorated after this vaccine and so forth. Talking about that here. Well, so we, we understand now that uh, that this could this could definitely branch off into a into an entire show or even a series of, of shows just covering vaccines. Um, when when we were when we were talking about this episode today, uh, Erica, you had mentioned that you were really eager to cover the topic of GMOs, and it sounded like you had some pretty specific things that you wanted to talk about. Uh, would you mind going over that for a few minutes? Oh, no, um, not at all. Um, well, yeah, with this new G GMO soybean oil, kind of started it off. And, um, you know, with the growing awareness of it, um, as we were sharing in our conversation before the show, you know, a lot of people now are kind of clued into it. They at least know what it is. I mean, when my husband and I started doing kind of informational talks in our community about GMOs, everyone thought we were talking about General Motors, the car. Like they didn't, <laughs> there was really no connection. And um, we originally started lecturing just about uh, um, on a farm level about the contamination of genetically modified organisms in the soil and how, you know, they have this whole thing, well, with the seeds they'll spread and they'll contaminate. And, I, and our focus was a lot of that once that, genetically modified organism is in the soil, it mutates and it kind of spreads. And and um, now it's very interesting that it's gained a lot of, you know, um, support. I mean, here in Hawaii, I'm sure everyone's heard about the new moratorium in Maui County to um, stop planting new GMO crops. That doesn't mean that they're not crops in production right now, but, you know, what's happening is, aside from the GMOs, is all the toxic herbicides and pesticides that are used on those plants. And so that's kind of where my thinking has been going recently is, you know, this whole idea of labeling and and everybody wants a label and they want to know if their food has it in it and um you know i don't think they're going to go away i think that the the biotech companies have a lot of power especially in a state like ours is very agriculture based these biotech companies provide jobs and so there's a support for it in that area my concern is this the glyphosate and, um, you know, atrazine, all these chemicals that people are getting exposed to, even if they're not eating GMO foods. So uh, just those pesticides running off into the water, going into the water table, and they are endocrine disruptors like BPA. And so people are being, it's a toxic overload. You know, and um, there's just so much information out there. Sometimes I just feel like I need to walk outside and take a breath of fresh air because it just seems mm -hmm. so dire on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I found this GMO soybean cooking oil 
article interesting because they really are trying to do perception management, you know, mm-hmm. um, now that mm-hmm. people kind of know that GMOs are a little bit of wacky mad science and doctors are coming out saying, you know, it gets into the gut bacteria and then your gut bacteria start producing insecticides, which can't really be good at all. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, there's just so much there and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking through my notes here. Um yeah, does any anybody else want to add what they've seen? Or I mean, I know uh, America's the big GMO pusher, and I know that um, like Europe and stuff that they uh, they have more strict, you know, controls on it. What I find absolutely scary is that you know GMOs um, in certain animals like pigs. Uh, GMOs promote cannibalistic, autistic, antisocial behaviors, you know. They don't allow mm-hmm. to research that in humans, of course, but, you know, you just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you just read the news, <laughs> you wonder, okay, <laughs> that's reason <laughs> enough to be GMO-free. <laughs> and that's the concern. They don't have, like, they've only been on the market since 1996, and they just don't, they, you know, they don't do human studies like you shared, but they have been doing a lot of animal studies. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of like the vaccines. Like, I can't say exactly what's wrong with it, but everything about it just seems really frightening. And no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my main concern as somebody who doesn't, <clears throat> I, you know, I'm I'm not a, uh, a, a scientist, you know, or a medical doctor or anything like that. And so um, I, I have to be honest and say that I don't, I don't really know, but that's also what, what kind of scares me about it is like, we don't know, we don't know what's happening here. We don't know if, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years down the line, uh, this is going to turn into really insane mutations uh, or things like that. And, and it definitely needs a lot more study. <clears throat> and uh, I, my question is, like why would you even want to go there uh if you can if you can stay away from it and you know that these certain certain foods that you can get are healthy and you can get organic foods and 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 better food why would you even want to try it's like coming up with an excuse to eat at mcdonald's because it tastes good sometimes that's good enough for people i mean i've heard a lot of people say well i gotta die of something or I could yeah, never yeah. give up my bread, or I could never give up this, or I could never give up that. And, yeah. well, there's that saying, if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. Yeah. It's a yeah. sad state, but um, you know, yeah. there's always going to be people who, who are like that. I, I think the only thing we can do is just put the word out, and if people pick up on it and they change their beliefs and change their habits, and I think that's the best that we can hope for. The other thing, too, is that it is it, it does require effort. Like, because mm-hmm. no GMOs are labeled, um, actually figuring out what could potentially have GMOs in it and what wouldn't can be a, a challenge. It can be a lot of work. Like, mm-hmm. you have to actually figure it out to actually get, you know, turn the box over and start reading ingredients labels and, and really looking into um, what 
where the potential dangers are. It take it takes effort. So I think that mm-hmm. that's that's the big stumbling block for a lot of people. It's like, well, I I don't want to bother. Yeah. Yep. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the whole learning process, you know, with with our work starting with the soil and you know basically having farmers as kind of our audience to then people going into the health industry and then of course the health food market you know picks up on it and they claim that everything in their store is GMO free and and you, and you go and you start looking at the labels and you see canola oil in there and you know mm-hmm. just from your research that almost all canola oil is genetically modified and so it becomes like this really touchy hard road to navigate mhm yeah. And 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 my, you know, with the with the Maui moratorium and it's now in Supreme Court and you know, at least people are paying attention and I know with Maui County the biggest part of it is that these products, the GMO crops, like I said, the the stuff is getting into the water, it's getting into the soil, it's blowing on schools and all this stuff and kids are getting sick. And so parents are concerned, mm-hmm. and out mm-hmm. of concern, they're starting to say, well, wait a minute, I don't want my kid to be a science experiment, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of strange respiratory disorders, you know, um, I'm sure Gabby and Doug can comment, and, and Tiffany as well, more on like all these um, Crohn's disease and um, digestive disorders, you know, it's just all these issues with the uh, um, the intestinal system. It's just there seems to be a correlation there. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, you had mentioned before you were wondering, like, are we going to see some bizarre mutations in the future? I think we're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, all, all the diseases, the respiratory diseases, uh, all the, the cancer is just going through the roof. I mean, I think we're in the right. midst of it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Catastrophe example. And also and it's a the gut lining, Yeah. The gut lining changes in animals, like in pigs, is the same um, you mentioned Crohn's disease, it's like the same thing we find in Crohn's disease in humans, so you just wonder, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly have a lot of uh a lot of things that we can uh, we can go over. I think we'll um, we're kind of approaching the end of our our time uh, here, and we have you know many potential future shows to go over these topics in much more detail. And uh, you know we're hoping to uh, to bring you much more data, uh, primary sources, um, information, and then also uh, avenues that that you as a listener can look into uh, to learn more about this this, this kind of thing. Um, I'd like to end with a uh, <clears throat> a little recipe, uh, if everybody's cool with that. Um, yeah. This is a, uh, we'll call it a paleo-keto beef stroganoff. And that might mm. sound counterintuitive uh, because um, stroganoff is originally a 19th, mid-19th century Russian dish that was a lightly floured uh, strips of beef uh, that were fried in and, and then cooked in cream. Uh, so that's doesn't sound like something you'd want to try um but part of my own <clears throat> part of my own process in uh 
in coming into the paleo and then the keto diet was learning how to make dishes that were kind of close to what I really liked in the past and see if I could do that. And so um, this is uh, a version of stroganoff that tastes actually pretty close. And I, I would I would vouch for it tasting like stroganoff. So if uh, if listeners want to uh, want to get out their pen and paper, uh, just quickly go through the ingredients here. We have uh, one half pound of butter or ghee, uh, depending on what you use. If you're using butter, I highly recommend uh, Kerrygold uh, grass-fed butter or some other kind of grass-fed butter. Please don't use like you know Crystal Farms or some other mass-produced kind of butter because that that can contain <laughs> even more toxins. <laughs> so um, half pound of butter uh, or ghee, uh, one pound of bacon. Uh, three pounds of sirloin or some other tender cut of beef, uh, one cup uh, chopped green onion or shallots or leeks, whichever you prefer. Personally, I kind of like leeks, but they need to be cooked down uh, thoroughly. Um, two teaspoons of Knox uh, gelatin. Uh, you can get that at pretty much any store. It's very cheap. Uh, look for uh, the little white box with the orange label on it. It's called Knox gelatin. Uh, two teaspoons of uh, salt, preferably either pink salt or sea salt. Don't use table salt because they bleach it and you never know what's in there. Um, one teaspoon uh, fresh ground black pepper. One quarter teaspoon of nutmeg. One teaspoon of tarragon. Uh, one and a half cups of coconut milk. <clears throat> Personally, I like uh, what's called Thai kitchen coconut milk. It, it does come in an organic uh, version. Uh, it comes in a can, unfortunately. Um, if you can find it not in a can, uh, go for that. Um, one quarter cup of water, uh, one teaspoon of mustard powder, one teaspoon of turmeric, one teaspoon of ginger powder, four garlic cloves, a half teaspoon of rosemary, one quarter teaspoon each of thyme, cardamom, and ground coriander. So that was that, that full. I know I might have gone through that a little bit fast. Um, but uh, what you want to do is uh, is take those ingredients, take your spices off to the side, mix them together in a uh, in a mortar and pestle. Um, cut the beef and the bacon into small chunks. Set that aside. Uh, cut your onions and uh, shallots or whatever you're using into uh, other uh, chunks and set those aside. Um, then you want to uh, heat up the coconut milk and the butter together so that they melt together and then whisk in the gelatin and keep it below boiling just at a simmer so that you don't burn the fats. You don't want to damage the structure of those fats. Um, so keep it below boiling, whisk in the gelatin, then whisk in your spices and let it all kind of mix together. And then you can cook the beef and the bacon together in a separate pan. Uh, and then you also want to boil uh, either the onions or the, the shallots or leeks or whatever you're using for your greens there. Uh, make sure to boil those um, so that you can break them down, make them a little bit more tender. Um, strain that out and then just mix everything together and you, you have your stroganoff mixture. Uh, traditionally, stroganoff is served with something kind of carby like noodles or rice or something like that. Um, but you really want to avoid that heavy load, especially with this is a really fatty dish. And I think that you'll find um, that when you eat this mixture just by itself, kind of as a stew, uh, it's very tasty and it's quite filling. Uh, because you're getting a lot of good fats in there, um, and you're getting that bacon and the beef as well. That sounds delicious. Yeah, really. Very <laughs> much so. Cool. So 
So I will, uh, for those of us, or for those of our listeners who are in the uh, the chat room, I'm going to go ahead and paste that uh, into our chat so they can copy it if they would like to. Uh, oh, actually, it's not letting me paste the whole thing. All right. Well, we'll see if we can address that some other way. Maybe we can put it in the show description on Blog Talk Radio. Um, so uh, unless you guys have anything to uh, to add, I, I think we can call that our show for the day, and we can look forward to covering our, these topics in more detail uh, later on. Great. One by one and many more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, also, uh, unfortunately, we don't have like a specific outro music uh, for for our show today, <laughs> so there's not a cue to tell you to turn the radio off. So I think we'll just uh, we'll say goodbye and uh, and and we'll let everybody get back to their uh, to their evenings wherever they might be. Great. So thank. Okay. Bye. All right. Thanks bye, everybody everyone. from. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Health and Wellness Show from the Sot Talk Radio Network. Please tune in uh, next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Thanks very much.